Excellent. I love to hear chatter. Conversation is always good. So hopefully your conversation was good. Good morning, everybody. That was great. Right. Morning online. I can hear you just fine. You rock. Ah, it's good to see everybody here this morning. I am Jeff, one of the pastors on staff, and I am continuing our series. This is our second week uh, on women of faith. Exciting series. And last week, Justin kicked us off with talking about Mary, the mother of Jesus. And what was really neat about that is he talked about icons and that icons are to be highly regarded and worthy of great respect. And so I love this series and just to think about these women as just that, um, highly regarded and worthy of great respect. And he talked about how Mary was respected in a lot of ways, but one major way was that she gave up or she chose to give up her plan for her life and replace it with God's plan. And she chose that. Um, And that's just huge for me to understand because she's a perfect example of what it means to turn your life over to God and then allow him to use the gifts that he's given you. So that was great. If you haven't listened to that, you can go on our, on our website and listen to that or YouTube and, and check that out. But as we start today, I want you to think about zones in your life, zones like that you use in your daily life. So like time zones or speed zones or the ever dreaded work zone, uh, no passing zones, safe zones. And if you're a fairgoer, you hate to see the no parking zones. Um, And for some people, the dreaded friend zone. (laughs) That's good. Um, But today, I want to challenge us in a zone that every single one of us has. And I want to challenge us because it has the potential to lull us into a sense of complacency uh, if we don't step up, step out, and do something. And that is the comfort zone. Uh, Comfort is not necessarily evil. It's not necessarily bad. In fact, uh, God creates a space for that comfort. Uh, In 1 Corinthians, he talks about, it talks about how God is the God of all comfort. However, when we take advantage of that comfort and we stay there for an extended period of time, we may lose sight of what God has called us to do and who he's called us to be. Hence, we become complacent. So I get to share about a story of a woman who chose to step up and step out of her comfort zone and do something amazing, and that's Esther. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. God, we thank you for uh, a day that we get to come and hear your word. God, open our hearts, open our minds, speak to us today. Speak to us through Esther. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Now, the story of Esther may only be 10 chapters long and really only cover a span of about 10 years, but it is full of intense drama. We have fairy tale beginnings, fairy tale endings. We have plots of murder on all different types of levels. We have accusations. We have chaos, twists and turns, and sweet, sweet justice. Sounds like a soap opera, doesn't it? Like Days of Our Lives, uh, yeah, General Hospital, All My Children, Don't Ask Me How I Know These Things, please and thank you, yeah. The only difference between those and Esther is the events that took place in Esther actually happened. 
And so what I want to do is I, there's, there's four main characters. There's Xerxes, King Xerxes, Esther, Mordecai, and Haman. And I want to give you a little background on those four characters that will set up the plot and how everything is going to play out. So King Xerxes, uh, the book starts out with him throwing a party for himself. That doesn't sound so bad, right? Birthday parties, you know, you kind of throw for yourself as you get older. Well, maybe not. But, you, but what, what he did was he threw a six-month party to honor himself. Right. Then he ended that soiree with a week-long feast. Now, wait. It's like, did you not feast for six months? So seven days of feasting and drinking all you can have, all you can eat or drink. And that's for people in the palace. And so he did that. And he had a beautiful queen. Her name was Vashti. And at the end of this feast, he wanted to flaunt his wife. He wanted to to show her off to people. And so he called for her. You know what she said? Ain't going to happen. No. So the king was pretty ticked off. So back in those days, when you tick off a king, you're pretty much dead, right? No, he didn't do that. He banished her from the kingdom and divorced her. Nice guy. Just kidding. He's not nice. So then he's without a queen, so he needs a queen. So he calls on one of his eunuchs, Haggai, to go out to all of Persia and gather up beautiful virgins to come back to the kingdom so he can pick his queen. Now, that sounds great if you're in the state of Rhode Island because it's tiny. Persia was one of the biggest empires of its time. It was 127 provinces. It stretched from parts of Asia, parts of the Middle East, into Africa. It was huge. So he had the big task of going and gathering these these young ladies to bring back to the palace. So when he did that, then what he had to do was train them all. So we're talking hundreds of women come in. He has to train them all how to be a queen, the protocols, what it takes, what you do and you don't do. It's about a 10-month process or so. So then at the end of the 10 months, these young ladies are paraded in front of the king, kind of like a Miss Persia, if you will. And he's the only judge. So they come in front of him, and they're coming in front of him. In walks Esther. Esther walks in, and he just stops everything and just puts the crown right on her head. She is beautiful. Esther, it's, it's pretty amazing. So her life uh, began as nothing more. It's really nothing more than a poor Jewish exile. Her parents died when she was very young. Uh, she was raised, uh, adopted and raised by her cousin Mordecai. Um, she was stunningly beautiful. And when the king had called the young ladies to, his, uh, to the palace, all like Haggai, the guy who's in charge of all these ladies, and all of the king's servants favored Esther the most out of all of them. They loved who she was, her character, how she presented herself. They just, they loved her and they adored her. Um, she was taken, uh, taken really good care of. Uh, she was, at the time, about maybe 14, 15, 16 years old. Sounds like Mary from last week, right? So then you come to Mordecai. Mordecai uh, was a part of the Jewish people that were uh, captured by the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians uh, were then, you know, routed and things like that. So then Esther uh, was adopted by Mordecai, 
and raised by him. Uh, he was part of the palace guard. So he worked for the king. He, his main post was outside the king's gate. Uh, and while Esther was queen, he, and he was at his post, he overheard a plot of, to assassinate the king and by two of his eunuchs. And so he passed that along to the queen. The queen then passed that along to the king. They investigated. It was true. And then they hung these two guys out in front of everyone, said, don't do this again. So they perished. So Mordecai did that. And then all the king's people, like all the, all the people that worked for the king's servants and stuff, they bowed to two people. That was the king and the prime minister, the second in charge. Now, Mordecai did not bow to either. He bowed to God only. And he, his faith was so strong in God that he didn't care what happened to him. The only person he bowed to, the only person that he would, would get on his knees for is God. So uh, Mordecai then uh, rarely saw the king, so that didn't matter much. But then he saw, he saw the prime minister almost on a daily basis. So then... Uh, and the prime minister knew that he was Jewish. So then we come to Haman, who was the prime minister at the time. Um, and uh, he's a, an Amalekite. So the Amalekites were routed by the Jews as the Jews entered the promised land. So Haman, knowing this, being from that line, knows that Mordecai is a Jew. Are you following here? You're getting some tension going on. So he, so he knows that he's a Jew. One morning, I don't know if Haman woke up on the wrong side of the bed or what, but he, Mordecai didn't bow to him. It infuriated him that day. So he went and, and his arrogance and who he thought he was really hatched a plot, a plot to kill, legally kill Mordecai. But not only that, he wanted to kill all the Jews in Persia. That's millions of Jews in Persia. He had convinced the king that these Jews, he basically said these Jews, they don't, they don't practice what we do. They don't, they don't bow to us. They have a whole new set of rules, a whole different set of rules. They do everything they want to do, but not what we want them to do. So let's take them out. We need to annihilate them all. And then we can take everything that they had. So the king in Esther chapter 3, said, The money and the people are both yours to do as you see fit. And he handed Haman his signet ring. So when the signet ring hits a law, then it can never be reversed. So basically, now we've got Haman with this decree, this royal decree, that within a year, all the people of Persia had permission to kill the Jews, any Jew, and take all their stuff without any penalty. Now, Mordecai heard this. Now, this is where the plot really starts to thicken. Mordecai heard about this royal decree that came down. So being a Jew himself became a little paranoid, became a little anxious, if you will. And so he then passed a message to Queen Esther saying, you need to get in front of the king and you need to stop this decree. He needs to reverse what he just did. He basically asked her to step up and step out of her comfort zone. Because think about it. Esther is now. So this has been seven years. This didn't happen like right after she became queen and, oh, look, the next day. Seven years have passed. So she's about 20, what, 21, 22, 23 years old. Beautiful, smart, 
doing whatever she wants to do, wearing the best clothes. Basically, she's gone from nothing to everything. And she's been in the everything mode for seven years. I'd say she has a pretty comfortable lifestyle, right? And so Mordecai is asking her to step out of that. Because you don't, here's the thing, you, you don't just step into your husband's room, knock on the bedroom door and say, honey, I need, I need, we have to talk about this issue. That doesn't happen, not even close. So to be, she has to come out of her comfort zone. So here's a question. What are some of the things that keep you in your comfort zone? What are the, some of the things that bring you comfort? Maybe it's the AC when it's 90 and humid. I think that brings all of us comfort, right? How about food? Maybe food brings you comfort. Maybe it keeps you in your comfort zone. How about being overly organized? Or how about having your finances in order constantly no matter what happens? How about your job or relationships? For me, when all my kids are home, when my family is safe at home, in bed, sleeping, safe. I'm in my comfort zone. But think about what brings you comfort. What keeps you in your comfort zone? Maybe even to the point of complacency. Now, when Mordecai asked Esther to go in front of the king, I guarantee you it was like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible. It, it, you, it's like anxiety and stress because, again, you can't just go to your husband's room and just talk to him. It's like a 30-day process. You have to, it's like a 30-day notice. Like, honey, can I talk to you in 30 days? No, you can't just walk in. Plus, his former queen did something wrong, and he just divorced her and banished her from the kingdom. So she's under a ton of stress, a ton of anxiety. She can't just go up to her king. She can't do a lot of things. Plus, other people are about to die. She just found out her whole life is about to end. So in chapter 4, I'm going to summarize, but it basically says, well, if I'm doing what you're asking, I'm signing my own death warrant. So I don't think today. No, I'm not going to do that. So Mordecai sent her a response in Esther chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, and says this, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. He's basically saying, I'm going to die, and so are you. Wake up. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen, and a lot of us have heard this phrase, for just such a time as this. This is a pivotal moment for Esther. There's a fork in the road. Does she choose to step up and step out of her comfort zone, or does she choose to hide behind the palace walls? Here's the first plot twist, is because nobody knows she's Jewish. Nobody knows except Mordecai. Mordecai told her when, before she went to the palace, don't tell anybody because something bad may happen to you because he knew who Haman was and Haman knew who he was. So don't tell anybody. Nobody knew that she was Jewish. So after he sent that reply, she sent a reply back and said to Mordecai, 
to have all the Jews in Susa, which is the capital city, uh, have all of them fast for three days. And I will do the same, and I'll have my maids do the same as well. Now, this is the next thing that blew my mind. In chapter 4, verse 16, she said this, And though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. She stepped up. She stepped up for God and her people before she even had God's plan. Wow. And she knew that she may die. That takes courage. How do we handle that? I say we because I'm in this with you. Do we, do we wait for God or do we step up and have God meet us and then we rely on his plan? How do you do that? Esther is so courageous. She's so brave to do this. A 20-year-old lady going into a king to talk to him. But then after those three days, she pretty much got a plan. And here's part of the plan. <laughs> so even back then, <clears throat> the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Right? <laughs> so she went to the king, nervous, anxious. She stood. It says she stood in the doorway. Basically, she stood in the entrance to his chamber. And he saw her. One of two things could have happened, die or come. And he said, Esther, come in. So he invited her in. And she, he said, Esther, my queen, uh, what do you need? What do you desire? I will give you anything you want, even, even if it's half the kingdom. It's like, whoa, that's huge. And all she said was, I, I want to have a banquet for you. And here's the thing. She didn't have a banquet for only for him, but for the man that is about to annihilate all of her people. So it's her, Haman, and the king, all three of them. What's interesting about this book is that God is never actually mentioned. Jehovah is never mentioned in the book of Esther. Interesting concept there, right? And I, I come to, to, I'm convinced that one of the reasons why is because uh, in Persia, it was a royal, or it was uh, basically a federal offense to even mention the God of the Jews. It was punishable by death. And so with Mordecai and all these people passing notes, when you pass notes, you're going to read them, right? You know, you're going to like, oh, yeah, I'm going to read this on the way. Yeah. Don't tell me you didn't do that. You sit there. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know we all did it. But the thing is, is that God had his plan. He had things going before anybody even knew what was happening. He knew what was going to happen. He was directing the story. He was behind the scenes. And nobody could have imagined what was going to take place. Esther chapter 6, verse 1, we continue. says, Esther invited the king and Haman to the banquet. And that night, the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. What better way to put someone to sleep? Right? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Read some history. But what's interesting is what part of history did he read? 
Do you remember the story about Mordecai telling about a plot to kill the king? That's the story that was read. And so Mordecai's name was never said, like who said the plot? So Mordecai overheard, and the name was given to the king. And then in chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, the king says, what reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? And his attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. At that moment, somebody came into the courtyard, and it got the king's attention. He said, who's in the, who's in the outer courtyard? And, the, and as it happened... Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to hang Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. Ah, some of you are catching on a little bit, like what's about to happen. Because there's a lot of coincidence in this story, right? So we have the king who just happened to have insomnia that night. He happened to read about Mordecai. And then he wanted to talk to somebody about giving Mordecai a reward and who happened to drop by. And then what is Haman actually building? A pole to kill Mordecai on. See, even though God isn't mentioned in this book, his hands are all over this. I'm, I'm, I'm in charge, one of the people in charge of Alpha. I would encourage you to be a part of Alpha. It's fantastic. But Nikki Gumbel, who is one of the co-founders and co-creators of Alpha, said... When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't, they don't. Interesting how that works. So they had fasted. Esther and the Jews fasted for three days, and then everything started to fall into place. Things started to happen. Coincidences started to happen. What's, interesting, what's, what's really cool is Esther, Mordecai, Xerxes, all these people had no idea that God was setting the stage for the salvation of his people. And if you read, if you read throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly saving, constantly protecting his people from annihilation. Why is that? Well, because without the Jews, there is no Jesus. Without, the Je without Jesus, there is no death, resurrection, and salvation from sin. So he's saving his people yet again as we look in these coincidences. But sometimes, isn't that how we feel life is for us sometimes? Just some random acts of happenings that just happen to us? We may not see the pattern in our lives, the pattern of what's happening, but just as this story plays out, God is always directing behind the scenes. Ephesians 2 210 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to, good, to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. He's, his plan for your life is in motion. His plan is already taking place. So in the saga of Esther, in the, in the book of Esther, God was putting everything into place. So here's what happens next. I love this. Oh, this is good. So I'm going to paraphrase chapter 6 a little bit for us. It said this, King, King, basically King asked Haman, asked him this question, what reward, like called him into the courtyard, called him into the, the chamber and said, what reward should I give someone who pleased me? Here's the thing. He asked, he said someone. He didn't say Mordecai. He didn't say anybody else. He said, how should I reward somebody for what they did? Well, Haman, being the arrogant guy that he is, well, 
it's got to be about me because I'm all that in a bag of chips. You know, I, I am the stuff. So here's what his answer was to the king. Dress him in royal robes and set him on a royal horse. Then have one of your high officials parade through the city shouting, this is what the king does for someone he wants to honor. And the king was like, that's a fantastic idea. Next thing we know, Haman is leading Mordecai on a royal horse, wearing royal robes, shouting to everyone, this is what happens when the king wants to honor someone he likes or whatever, yes. So that's what, it, that's what he did. And Haman, you know, but here's the thing is, Haman, I guarantee you, was thinking at the same time, okay, I'll go along with this because in a little while I'm going to kill this guy anyway. So after that happened, then we've got Haman and the king then attending Queen Esther's banquet. So they attended the banquet, and it was great. And the king asked her again, Queen Esther, tell me what you want. What is it that you desire? I will give you anything. I'll give you even half the kingdom. And she said, I want another banquet tomorrow night. You, me, and Haman, I want another banquet. Chapter 7 Verse, starting in verse 2, we continue with the story. On this second occasion, while they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. Now remember, nobody knows she's Jewish. This is the first time her husband is hearing that she's Jewish. He is also putting two and two together to say, I have just decreed to kill my wife, basically. So then she continues, For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king then this is where the king gets absolutely furious. Who would do such a thing, he demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Oh, this is great. Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Imagine that. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out into the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed to plead for his life with Queen Esther for he knew the king intended to kill him. Oh, this is, gets even better. In despair, okay, so she's reclining on a couch. In despair, Haman fell on the couch that she was on just as the king returned from the palace garden. It's like, dude, you can't set this up any better. He falls on the same couch as a queen. The king enters at the same time, and he says, will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? Oh, nothing's going right. Remember in the Bible it says pride comes before a fall? Oh, it's fallen big time for Haman. And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face, signaling his doom. And I love this guy. Harbona, I love him. One of the king's eunuchs said, well, hey, Haman set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to kill Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. And the king shouted, then hang Haman on it. 
So they hung Haman on the pole and he had, that he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. And there is our sweet, sweet justice, right? But the story doesn't end there. It'd be a great place to end if it were a movie, but it doesn't end there. The king's decree, you remember the king's decree, and it was, you can't take it back. So he made a second decree that basically said the Jews could fight back for anybody who attacked them. Anybody who wanted to harm them, they could, they could defend themselves, and that's what they did, and they won decisively. Esther stepped up and stepped out of her comfort zone and saved her people. How did she achieve this? How did she do that? The first thing she did was she turned to God, and she fasted and prayed. She asked her people to do the same thing. Because when they faced danger, they fasted and they prayed. And a lot of times they would tear their clothes and sit in ashes as well. And although God isn't even mentioned in the book of the Bible, in this book, in this book, the Jewish people, as they fasted, because prayer and worship isn't mentioned either. However, fasting is a form of prayer and worship. But they fasted to humble themselves, to seek God's guidance, to strengthen prayer, express love, power, clarity of vision, which is exactly what Esther needed. And then she listened to God and she heard his plan. And then she enacted it. She stepped out. She stepped up to do that. And she put that plan into motion. She knew it was gonna get messy. She knew that she might even die, but she stepped up and did it anyway. She was confident in her God that he would step up. Now, again, remember, this is a 10-year process. This isn't something that happened one day and then like a day later, this happened. This happened over 10 years, this happened. So if you've been waiting for an answer to prayer, I apologize, you may have to wait a little longer. I don't know. I'm not God. But I know that when we step out, things might get messy for us, but man, God wants to bless us. Man, he wants to bless us. And the respect of, to be like Esther, God made sure that Esther was perfect, in a perfect place for such a time as this. Mordecai was right when he said that. And God has done the same for you and me. We are a part in his plan. We are a part of his plan. You have influence. We have influence over people that nobody else may have influence over. We have opportunities that some people don't have. We have a purpose in his story. Will you be like Esther and step out in faith to do what God has called you to do or hide behind our walls of, of our comfort zone? I'm convinced that you and I, that we are made for such a time as this. Worship team, you can come back up. <clears throat> Some tips for us as we leave here today and go about our week. I would say one is read Esther. It's 10 short chapters. I think chapter 10 is like a paragraph long, so it's not very long. Um, but read that. And while you're reading it, listen to what God uh, is calling you to step out to. Just listen to God. Ask him to talk to you. And, and what, what is he asking you to step out? And that's what the second thing is, is to pray. Pray that God would give you the courage to step up. Maybe there is something that you're looking at, something that's been going on for a while, 
And you need to step up. You need to step out of your comfort zone and do that, but you need the courage to do it. Um, maybe you're afraid to do that. So I would encourage you to pray that God would help you and give you the courage to step out of your comfort zone. And the last thing is a couple of, couple of things to do. One is try and step out of your comfort zone this week, whatever that is. Could be a little thing, could be a huge thing. But another thing is I would consider fasting. Consider fasting. And how they did it was they gave up, and, and, and us, in Esther, they gave up eating and drinking for three days. So it's sacrificing something. That's what fasting is. So I would encourage you to, to consider fasting when you're thinking about coming out of your comfort zone or stepping out. Maybe cut out like a lunch sometime during the week, like on a Wednesday, Tuesday, I don't know. But instead of eating lunch, read Esther again or pray that God would give you the courage to step out and do what he's calling you to do, step out of your comfort zone. Now, if you're part of the prayer ministry team, love to have you guys come up. Um, we want to give you, during the last uh, worship song here, we want to give you the, the opportunity to come up and receive prayer today. Maybe you want, uh, you want to be courageous. You're afraid to step up. And you need that courage. Come up and receive prayer today. Maybe you're afraid of stepping out of something that might happen to you, like, like Esther was afraid the first time because she knew that something may happen to her or something, she may have to step out and do something. But you might be afraid. So just come and receive prayer today. Maybe you feel like you have no purpose. You don't know what your purpose is. Come up and receive prayer for that today. This might be the beginning of, of a great connection with God to figure out what your purpose is. And maybe if there's anything else that you need, maybe there's prayer for a healing in a relationship, physical healing, something. Come up and receive prayer today. It'd be great to have you guys uh, just pray. And here's the thing. You know, we've got a few people that'll pray. Just stay until you get prayed for. If they're, if they're all being, they're all praying for people, just stay. Don't leave until you get prayed for. We'll be here. No worries. Um, let me pray for us. So God, we thank you. Holy Spirit, just come. We thank you for Esther. Thank you for showing us how we too can be courageous. We too can be brave to step out of our comfort zones and do what you've called us to do and be the people that you've called us to be. God, I just thank you for who you are. It's in Jesus' name.